Hey everybody, welcome back to the Hunt Lift Deep podcast. As always, I'm your host Luke, and this week I'm back again with Evan co-hosting. And today we've got a pretty awesome guest, uh, HLE team member, former Ranger Regiment medic, and the owner of the Stand Two Blade Company. Derek, what's going on, man? Uh, not a whole lot, man. You uh, crushed that opening, by the way. But yeah, man, we're, we're stoked to have you on. We've been talking about doing it for a while, and we finally put it together. And I thought it made a lot of sense just having Evan here uh, in house with me to pick this week to bring you on because you guys clearly have a lot of similarities and background you've worked a lot of the same uh, type stuff with the same types of people so i think we can really talk about you know what we can talk about we can delve into a little bit of that but i guess we'll just start off with just like give us a little bit of your, about your background like kind of where you grew up how you grew up how you know your your childhood interact or like was involved being involved in the outdoors and all that yeah all right uh so i grew up in fort ashby west virginia it's this Tiny little town in the uh, eastern panhandle. It's uh, close to Cumberland, Maryland. If you if you blink, you're going to fucking miss it. Uh, we got a stoplight there when I was like 17. It totally, totally changed everything. Um, and uh, I, I grew up just playing outdoors with my brothers, running around the woods. It was kind of weird, though, because no one in my immediate, immediate family hunts, like my dad dad hunted when he was younger but then like not in his adult life so i didn't really uh i didn't really start hunting until i was around 14 my uh my mom's brother my uncle paul he uh took me out for the first time so like the first time i ever killed a deer i was sitting basically right next to him and uh i got real nervous like couldn't find it in my scope so like i just shoved my eye as close as I could to that thing. And like finally got it in there and he's like, you know, you're going to pull the trigger. You're going to pull the trigger. And like when I did, it blasted me right between the eyes. I had blood everywhere, but I mean, the deer, the deer was down. So I can't really <laughs> complain, but he's never let me lay it down. I'm 38 now. I was like 17 years ago. <laughs> Dude, I think we've all had something similar to that. If you, if you spent any amount of time behind a scoped rifle and you haven't scoped yourself, you're either just really good or really lucky. Oh, for sure. And like, especially those first couple deer that you see, like everything goes out the window. Cause like, you're so jacked up. Like you're so excited that you finally are in a position to actually take an animal and you're like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Yeah. hundred percent. You just get those nerves. You get the, you know, I mean, how I get buck fever over does it's definitely happened. You just get super stoked. And then like you say, you just forget all the, all the shit, especially when you're young and you haven't really had that, that repetition and that training. I mean, your, your experience is probably like most of us. It wasn't like our, I didn't get run through a whole big training cycle prior to, prior to going hunt. And it was like, Hey, can you shoot the, uh, the center of this target at a hundred yards? Yeah. You're good to go. Let's go to the woods. Yeah. You know, there wasn't a lot of repetition or a lot of real training. Involved. Hell no. You, like I got, this is a rifle. This is a safety. Don't take it off until you're ready to shoot a deer. Like that was basically it. Yeah. I, you know, I was talking to some people who have been hunting for a while and like, they still don't, they're like, I aim behind the shoulder. And I was like, well, that, you know, a lot of people don't even know like where to aim on an animal when they start hunting. Like I took a, I went hunting with a guy who had been hunting for a long time. He was adult and he made this shot. He was like, man, I don't understand why this deer ran so far. And I was like, well, you hit it way back, dude. And he's like, this is where I always aim. And I was like, well, <laughs> you're not aiming at the vitals. You're aiming at the gut sack, bro. <laughs> like that's not where you aim on a deer. And he's like, oh, I always just aim like right in the middle. And I was like, what? <laughs> okay. All right. But I guess if you've never been taught, it kind of like, what kind of fucking psychopath are you where you just want to gut shoot deer all the time? 
Yeah, dude, he just he truly didn't know, man. He just like had no idea. And I was like, well, I was glad I could be a, a little teacher for him and be like, yeah, well, if you want to stop having to track every single deer. And stop having to gut through stomach matter and shit. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, you only – I've only truly gut shot a deer once, and it was actually the second deer I shot. I was with Evan, and I shot the first one about two minutes prior – and which was a good shot. And then I was still so jacked for the second shot. I just gut shot the hell out of it. And that's enough to not want to, I've nicked the guts and stuff before, but since then, but never like a true gut shot. And you only want to do that once in my opinion. I, yeah, I, I agree. I think I would rather blow through the shoulder than I would risk a gut shot. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, even then, like, obviously you don't want to do that, but I would much rather, <laughs> much rather punch through that shoulder than I would risk hitting the, the intestines. I mean, it's, it's not so much nowadays is with YouTube, but like if you were gotten into your adulthood, it's, it's extremely tough to actually learn to hunt because you know, there's no, there's no classes. It's not like someone's going to take you by the hand and like teach you. We've gotten so far away from our roots. You know, most of the time when you're hunting, you're just going to look for a prime rib at, at the fucking local public. So if you don't get that knowledge from somebody else, when you're younger, a lot of times it doesn't happen in your adult life, but I think it's gotten a little better with like uh, the adventation, the, uh, the uh, shit. I don't even know what I'm trying to say um, with YouTube. Cause you can look up anything on there. I've learned so much shit off there. Like learn how to grout, learn how to lay flooring. I've learned, you know, I'm trying to learn how to gut an elk cause I'm going out to Colorado um, this fall. So it's uh you can learn anything off there. So I think that's been a big help. Just like a deer. But- yeah, exactly. You ain't going to hoist that thing, though. Yeah, I mean, that's what, you know, I've said it on a few of the podcasts. I say it, like, all the time in my everyday life. At this point in time, ignorance is a fucking choice. Like, you've got a supercomputer at your fingertips. You've got the answers of the universe literally there. And it is harder with hunting, though, because you can learn. You can only learn so much through video and through, like, listening to podcasts because you need some of that hands-on, like, practical experience in the woods. And so I think hunting is one of the one things that is, is very difficult to learn. You can get some base knowledge and some background, but you, you know, you can learn how to, you know, change your oil or, or change a tire, or, you know, replace your brakes and your calipers or, you know, swap out a starter pretty easily through YouTube step-by-step. Step. But like an animal through a gut process, it's not turning into, you know, taking a bolt out here. There's like a whole, you know, kind of abstract thing as you learn the anatomy of an animal and you can only do it through repetition. I mean, my first probably 20 deer, I did it different every single time. I felt like, like I just felt like every time I did a deer, it was different. It wasn't until probably two, three years ago that I really became efficient at processing animals. Yeah. It's, you just need that base knowledge. Yeah. I was talking to a guy recently and it wasn't about hunting, but I, um, it was about a simple task and I was like, man, I, I'm really glad that YouTube's a thing, but at the same time I was thinking like, how silly it must be. like there there is instructional videos on everything like mounting a picture frame you know or the most simple task and I, I, there's a part of me that's like yeah i'm super grateful for that but i'm also like dude who's filming themselves like how to open a can of beer you know stuff that you would think would be common sense but maybe not yeah it's like uh the beginning of those infomercials where like someone's trying to carry two cups and they just like fumble fuck through it and like drop one of the cups and like, Oh, there's gotta be a better way. Yeah. Oh man. Are you tired of spilling milk everywhere? He's the, here's the easy pour spout from whatever company for three payments of 1999. If you act now, you get another. 
or you just learn to pour milk right. <laughs> anyway, we kind of got away from your, uh, your intro there, Derek. That's okay. Um, hell, I don't. Uh, I don't even really know where where we left off. I guess um, I grew up playing. Yeah. Okay. So I uh, I grew up playing a lot of sports. You know, I played uh, played football growing up. Um, all through like Pee Wee's and um, and into high school baseball, but uh, and then I started wrestling in in high school, and that was like my favorite sport. I really dug that because like no matter what you did, everything was on you. You didn't have any teammates to kind of blame your loss on, and if you weren't wrestling, it was not anybody else's fault other than you because you have wrestle offs like in practice. So if there's a dude that you want to, you want to wrestle at that weight class, you challenge him and you wrestle. And if you beat him, it doesn't matter what the, if the coach likes you or doesn't like you, it doesn't matter. None of that shit matters. It's only, did you beat him? Then guess what? You're now in varsity. If not suck it up and go get better. Like, and I think it's just those four years alone, I think helped me throughout my adult life more than probably anything because there's a lot of hardship in that sport. And, uh, there's not a lot of publicity on it because it's kind of, it's not as sexy as, as basketball or football and even baseball. It's just, just hardworking dudes that go out and bang and uh, like, not, not in like gay porn way bang, but like go out and like go hard on the mat um, and try and, and you just, just prove who's the best. I should <laughs> clarify. Yeah. We were, we were wondering there. Yeah. 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 And I don't, I don't want to paint a, a bad picture for it, but I mean, if that's what you're into, I'm not going to judge. Just uh, take it in the locker room. I don't think any of the uh, families want to see it on the mat. Plus, you got to like scrub all that shit off then. <laughs> oh, man. <clears throat> Big facts there. Yeah, dude, but it's funny you say that because I, I wrestled a little bit coming up. Uh, and then I actually got my parents didn't want to take football from me. And so wrestling's what they pulled from me when my grades slipped. And then I finally just got to the point, like, fuck it, I'm not going to wrestle because I don't want to have this hang over my head. And I really regret it because, one, with my body set, like, I'm short, so 5'7", I would have been, it's a kind of an equalizer with the weight. I wasn't going to be a collegiate football player, but I have the build and was pretty good at wrestling to where there's a chance that I could have at least worked to, to pursue that. And I think what you talk about, the discipline with wrestling and the fact that it's just you and the other guy on the mat and there's no excuses. Like, if you fail, you failed. I think there's some valuable lessons in that. And, and that's something, obviously, I'm having a son. He's, he's you know, coming in uh, in August. And I've been thinking about what I want to do. And I really want to get him in into wrestling, jujitsu, a lot of those sports very young because <clears throat> I think you learn a lot of valuable lessons. You learn to be comfortable being uncomfortable. You learn the discipline and you learn the the accountability. And there's, there's it's, a, it's a zero-sum game. You either win or you fail. And it's all on you. Yeah, it's, it's 100% that. And the thing – that um, I think one of the biggest deterrents is, you know, when I was wrestling, it was like, well, I don't want to wear spandex and wrestle another, like roll around with another dude. I'm like, yeah, but like, do you want to fight? Like, do you want to, do you want to actually look at yourself and, and have some accountability? Like you can, you can learn so much about yourself when you're out there. Like, you know, well, it's only six minutes, but like that is one of the hardest six minutes of your life. And if you can't get through that, then you have to like take a, take stock and like what you're doing to prepare. Like, is your cardio up? Like, 
are you strong enough to handle the weight class you're in? Did you, did you suck to try and get down to that weight or did you do it right and, and have strength when you were actually on the mat instead of just being completely wiped out because you crash dieted the night before and just, it's a whole lot of stuff that, that goes into it that you have to think about and, and actually look at yourself. And, and I think we've kind of gotten away from that as a uh, people because now we're always looking for an excuse like, well, this guy fucked me. So I, this didn't happen. But like in, in those sports, and I actually just started doing jujitsu because I miss wrestling so much. Um, and it's, they're very similar. Like if something goes wrong there, it's on you, you get choked out. It's because you didn't do something right. Yeah. I think there's a lot of weight to what you said too, about the, like being six minutes and anyone that's never been in a physical altercation, whether it was um, intentional, like wrestling, or if it was Brazilian jiu-jitsu, or if it was just, you know, a street fight or a fight in high school or whatever, but a five minute fight, a five minute street fight, a five minute wrestling match, a five minute, like anything where you are in physical combat with another human man, it is absolutely exhausting. It is some of the best workouts you can do is getting on a mat and rolling around with someone, even if you don't really know what you're doing, man, but just learning. And it's, it's an incredible workout. And it's like, I think people take that for granted. You know, they, you watch UFC fights and Buffalo Wild Wings and there's what, three, five minute rounds or whatever, depending on if it's a title fight or not. And dude, that is, that's some serious workouts right there. Like those dudes are in incredible shape. Yeah. I always love those dudes that are sitting like B-dubs. And you know they'll they'll be watching a UFC fight, and they're like, "Well, it's only it's it's fifteen minutes, it's only you know three five minute rounds." I'm like, well, your fat ass is in here chugging beer and eating wings, and you you can't walk to the bathroom without getting winded. So you're going to tell me you would do better in there? Like, you did. Yeah, I mean it's it's hilarious because it, just like Evan said, and what you're saying is like until you've done it, like when you're training jujitsu and you're doing like you know, a circuit of round robin where you're doing 30 seconds or a minute of fighting, rolling with a guy, and then you pause, you get a 15-second reset, and then you hit the next guy, and you do that for 15 minutes. By the end of that, all you want to do is lay there and gasp. Like, it is absolutely fucking brutal. And you, you when you haven't trained jiu-jitsu in a while and then you get back into it, you have parts, of, you have muscles in your body that are sore that you didn't even know you fucking had because you've never engaged or full – it's literally a, a total bo- total body workout where every muscle in your body is engaged for the entire duration. Oh, and you're, it's a massive anaerobic exertion. And because it's 15 minutes, it's also hitting your aerobic energy system. It's just, it's, it's a great workout. It's, it's one of the hardest things that I've ever done. And, you know, I'm a white belt. I don't know shit. I just know I'm having fun. And like rolling with these dudes is the closest thing that I've got to like that feeling that I had back then. And, uh, it's, it's just, it's so good for your psyche. It's so good for your cardiovascular strength, your uh, muscular strength. It's, it's like you said, it's a total body workout. It's, it's, it's everything. And like having that sharp end, like where you're, you're kind of like, you're always, you know, they say like iron, iron sharpens iron, like hard men create good times. So if you're out there working hard like it'll help you in all aspects of your life me and luke were kind of talking about the similar similar thing we were just bullshitting the other night um you know we, we were talking about like parenting and kids and he was you know he's about to be a father and i'm a father and we were talking about you know how just some of the things that we want to instill in our children and 
and he brought up a good point. Like there's so many people that just aren't used to being uncomfortable. And like they, they feel that discomfort, whether it's physical, mental, emotional, like, and then, and if you're not, if you're not used to being uncomfortable in certain ways, in some ways, then life is going to kick your ass when you're an adult. Cause life doesn't care, man. Like nothing about life cares. Even as, even though like our society is changing, like there's still things that happen that you have no control over or very little control over that you have to pull through. And if you don't, it's going to crumble you. And so instilling that stuff young, man, I think wrestling and some of those individual sports are phenomenal for kids, especially sports like wrestling or uh, jiu-jitsu or anything of that nature, because it, you, you take a child and you teach them that like, you know what, you're uncomfortable, but it's going to be okay. And as long as you understand that, you know, and you can teach a kid that they, if they understand that, like, you know what, this kind of sucks in the moment, but guess what? It's going to be over and you can push through it. There is so, so much more than just a physical workout there. Like you say, the psyche with that is incredibly powerful, like for, for kids and, and adults too. But I think it's super important to, to teach uh, young people, our kids, our, our next generations, like that thing, because that's, that's how you create, you know, that's how you prevent, um, someone from hitting adulthood and then not knowing how to how to handle a, a tough day a tough week a tough, a tough month or year or whatever you know yeah i think you hit it right uh hit the nail right on the head there because like you know, i've got a, a one-year-old daughter now and i definitely would like to to get her into jujitsu or, or wrestling at some point because it it gives you that that mind frame we're like all right yeah i I've, I've been through hard things you know i can keep pushing through this and like there'll be there'll be an end to it at some point it has like the hard the hardship has to end and i'll get to the other side and i'll be better for it yeah i mean it's it's so important and just you know just staying on specifically on wrestling and, and jujitsu i remember i was doing my i trained jujitsu a little bit in high school and then into college and when i was a second lieutenant in the schoolhouse, I got the opportunity to go for, just do my army, you know, the level one combative shit. You know, it's pretty basic. And when you're rolling and you're doing like some of this shit with the like guys that have no background in this, like the number of dudes I was able to get tapped or to tap from just making them uncomfortable. Like I didn't have anything. There was no submission. Like I remember uh, just taking my head and rubbing it on their, like my forehead on their sternum and just making that shit uncomfortable. And they would tap out because at the first, it was like, oh, that hurts. I'm done. And it's like, dude, you're a fucking pussy, man. Like I, I'm not doing anything to you. You're in a dominant position, and I'm all I'm doing is pulling you in and scraping my forehead on your sternum. But they've never – it's not – I mean, it's their fault, but it, it, it's not their fault in the way that they've never experienced anything like that. They've never had that kind of pain, and that their immediate reaction is just to pull away from it. Then to know, like, I can suck this pain up. I can let this guy do all these things because I know I'm thinking two, three, four moves ahead, and I'm going to get him. I'm going to submit him. And that's a, you know, microcosm of life. Like you're going through that, the hardship, the thing that sucks, it hurts now in the moment, but you're thinking two, three, four moves ahead and you know it's worth it because I'm going to be able to get to this end game. I want to be able to get here, here, achieve these goals or, or whatever. And I, I think you only get that. And I, I played football forever. And you get a little bit of that in football, but I think you get it from the the wrestling side. It doesn't have to be jujitsu. It can really be any kind of just like that man versus man you're just getting after it and you were put in those situations. And I think you're just testing yourself in a way that is very important and you need that. And I think men need that, like biologically. I mean, you were saying like, it makes you feel better, like in your headspace. I think that's real. Like you, <clears throat> once you finish that, you've, you've got a little bit more confidence, a little more like, Hey, yeah, I'm, I'm good. Like I just, I've just been rolling with a bunch of dudes and I've been holding my own. Like 
I'm ready to meet the world today. Like I can go home. I'm, I'm exhausted. I can go to sleep, get feel refreshed and hit tomorrow. Like I think there's something to be said for that. Yeah. I think um, it's not even whether you win or lose. It's just like knowing that, Hey, I can do this hard shit and yeah, it'll suck for a little bit, but it's not going to kill me. And I'm better than the last time that I did it. So it, you, you see the growth and it's just, I, don't know, I think it's just huge for individuals. Yeah. After we get us back a little bit on topic, I mean, I think that's all very valid and applicable to everything, but let's, let's shift back over to, uh, you know, so you, you wrestled, played football, you know, got into the woods, you know what, and then, you know, kind of what was next and you, assuming you went and graduated high school and then everything from there. Yeah. I, uh, graduated high school. I was like in a class of, I think our graduating class was 94. So like I went to a, a tiny little school, um, and then from there, I went to, to college and I ended up getting a degree and I worked as a physical therapist assistant uh, for a while. But in between uh, my graduation and actually getting a real job, I did this cross-country bike trip with um, one of my buddies who went to Johns Hopkins. He's way smarter than me. He's an actual like doctor now, not like Dr. Scholes, but like a real doctor. And um, And so we rode from baltimore maryland all the way to san francisco and it was like one of the most amazing experiences of my life because we got to ride through all these different little towns talk to people um we went to a couple different cancer treatment centers um i don't know if you guys know this but the american cancer society has these places called hope lodges and it's basically they're in they're in bigger cities but if you're coming to that cancer center for a treatment. You can stay in these places for free. You can have a family member stay for, stay with you. They've got, um, some staffing there that can help you with the stuff that you need. Um, like nursing water, like if you have any medical issues while you're there. So we would go and stop and, um, and talk to these people. And one of the first stops that we did, I think our first day was like 70 some miles and I hadn't done any more than I think like 15 on my training rides. Cause I was just, I, I didn't understand the grasp of what we were doing. So I was hurting. And by the time we got to like day three, I'm like my legs were screaming, my back hurt, everything hurt. And uh, we went to this cancer treatment center and there's this old dude in there getting chemo pumped into his, uh, into his veins. And he kind of looked at us and we're all, we're all hurting. And he had this long ass IV tubing and he started like swinging it around and he was like, anybody want to jump rope? And I was like, if that dude can be that upbeat while getting poison pumped into his veins while fighting a can- like a disease that wants to to eat him alive, like I am not going to bitch the rest of this trip. Like I've got it so easy. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I didn't know any about that about the lodges. And then that's like, <clears throat> you know, we've talked about it before, but like perspective is everything. And I think that we all kind of need that kick in the ass when we start. We complain like, oh, I don't want to do this or I don't want to do that. We were kind of talking about it with Anthony with like some of the guys that are double and triple amputees. And you're like, I don't want to train today because I'm sleepy, but these motherfuckers are out there getting it with one leg. And you've got that guy getting chemo, which is probably one of the shittiest things to do where just waste your body away. And he's just making jokes and playing with you guys. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's all about, it's all about your perspective. Like if you're sitting there feeling sorry for yourself, you need to kind of zoom out a little bit and, and look what's going on in the world. Like people don't have jobs. People have lost houses, people have lost family members, loved ones. Like if you're healthy, have a job, you know, you got a roof over your head, food in your belly. Like your life is not that fucking bad. 
yeah, man, it's that's uh, the, the, whole, the whole victim mentality is something we see, I think, daily anywhere you go, man. It's the woe is me. I had a bad day. I was stuck in traffic. Like, oh, okay. What can you do to change it? You don't like, you don't like being stuck in traffic? Maybe find a job that you know doesn't force you to live in a city. I mean, that 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 mindset is is definitely uh, what's the word I'm looking for, Luke? Rampant in today's society i mean it's just it's, yeah it's everywhere it's all over the place you, you see it more and more and social media gives it a voice and then just this overall culture which i honestly think is from a loud minority of folks but the problem is is they all have a platform now with social media that it's just in your face all the time and you've got this idea that like everybody's a victim everybody's feelings are valid and it's not to say you shouldn't feel your feelings but you should look at your feelings and be like Am I being a bitch? Like, what could I do about it? Exactly. What, what can I do about this situation? So, Derek, uh, kind of keeping on with the, the introduction of you, man, tell, tell the listeners and, and me and Luke here your transition from um, civilian life into, into regiment. Yeah. So, you know, I, I started my first semester of college um, right as 9-11 happened. Like I was, uh, I was working at UPS in the mornings and then I would drive to school. And uh, I was driving in a, a 78 ship. Real quick, how fucking old are you? I'm 38, bro. I'm, I'm fucking old. I'm way, I'm way too old to be doing the shit that I did. Yeah. Uh, so I had a... Uh, I was in sixth grade when the towers came down. Yeah. I was just starting college. Um, yeah, so I had, a, I had this like real old shitty truck and it didn't have a radio. So I had no idea what happened. And, uh, I got to school and I saw one of the dudes that I went to high school with who was going to the same community college as me at the time. And he was like, Hey man, did you hear? And I was like, what? And he was like, you know, they just flew two towers into the, or two airplanes into the towers. And, and, you know, he, he kind of embellished it and I didn't believe him cause this kid was a known liar. So I was like, all right, well, whatever the fuck you say. And I just went to class. I went to my biology class. And then uh, I remember going to like the student union to go play some pool or some shit in between my next class. And like there wasn't a TV. I was like, holy shit. And uh, I really wanted to join then and didn't like my family didn't want me to do it. They were, I mean, which I totally understand because, you know, they love you. They don't want you in, in harm's way, but like I really wanted to join and I just regretted not doing it. And um after I graduated and, and started working, I was just, I was super bored. Like it was easy to, to be a physical therapist assistant and, and just like go to work, help people try to try to walk. And it's, it's a great job. Like it's super noble to try and to get these people into a, uh, I worked a lot in nursing homes. Um, and every now and then you would have people that had gone into a surgery and kind of deteriorated. So they would come to nursing home for a while try and strengthen up and, and get back home, get to the level that they were before the surgery. Um, and you know, it's, that's a, a good job. It's a, a great way to, to make a living and to impact people's lives. But I was like, I wanted something else. So, um, I kept telling my family that I was going to do it and like, nobody believed me. So I finally just went and enlisted one day and they lost it. Well, not mostly just my mom. Uh, she was, she was not happy. Um, and then, you know, when I was getting out, she wanted me to stay in. So it, it quickly changed. Um, their opinion of, uh, of the army was like, nobody had gone to the army. My, my only, uh, 
the only relative that I had that had been in the military was my great grandfather who got drafted in World War II and my great uncle who was in Vietnam. So like I didn't really come from a military background, so nobody really knew what to expect. So did you, did you come in uh, with an option 40 contract? Yeah. Uh, so I wanted to, I, I talked to a couple of my buddies who had already been prior service and gotten out. And, um, one of my buddies who, I really respected his opinion. I was like, he was in the Marines and I, I really didn't know what, what I wanted to do. I just knew, um, I didn't want to be in the regular, like I didn't want to be in a regular army or regular anything. Like uh, I wanted to be, I know I wanted to be spe- special operations. So I was talking to my buddy and, uh, I was like, what would you do? And he's like, if I was you, I would try and go SF. And I was like, all right, well, that's what I'll try. So I went down to the recruiter, told him what I wanted to do. And he's like, all right, no problem. And then I end up at MEPS, which is where you go to get like your, uh, your physical for, for the army or whatever branch you're going into. And, um, they take us in for the eye exam and I'm colorblind as hell. And I already knew it. So the people in front of me were doing the eye exam and then they would go do the colorblind test. And so I was trying to listen to what they would say because they kept doing the same ones over and over again, but like I I couldn't memorize it in time. And so, um, I failed the shit out of that thing. And I went back down to the guy that gives out contracts. He's like, well, you can't get an 18 Delta contract or an 18 X uh, contract, but you can be a Ranger. And I was like, all right, cool. And it actually worked out better because like I liked our, our mission better than the SF mission. Like I'd much rather just kind of go out on point raids than teach and do point raids, which we still end up teaching, but uh, it actually, it worked out way better for me. Yeah, it definitely sounds like it. Also, like I got super self-conscious there because um, I'd ate some asparagus the night before and uh, the Navy chick that was doing our drug test when I, I like, got pissed in the cup, she's like, whose urine is this? And I was like, it's mine. And she's like, put a cap on that. That stinks like shit. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm sorry, lady. I, I, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> oh, man, that's hilarious. Uh, why don't you explain a little bit uh, – just for you know, a lot of our we have a lot of military listeners, but we have a lot who, who aren't as well. So, go ahead and kind of explain Ranger Regiment and like kind of the differences from what people might think of when they think special operations, maybe with special forces or you know, some of the other services, Navy SEALs, and like what kind of sets the U.S. Army Ranger Regiment apart. I think the the first distinction you have to make, and like it, it takes everybody a long time to that aren't in the Army to figure this out is like Ranger School is not ranger regiment like that's one of the biggest misconceptions like i'll get people who find out i'm a ranger and then you know they'll they'll talk to me like well my, my buddy steve's a ranger and i'm like oh cool what battalion he's like i think he was in the 101st and i was like well i can tell you he wasn't a ranger you know there's a big difference between ranger school and ranger regiment if you can if you can not sleep and not eat and walk with a heavy ruck for 62 days, then you could be ranger qualified, which is ranger school. But if you actually want to be in special operations and, and do the mission that an actual army ranger does, then you have to go through RASP and then not fuck up while you're in regiment. So you can, sorry, my, my daughter just busted in the door. Um, it's all right. 
yeah, so I think uh, more the 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 ranger mission is more point raids, and that's what I liked about what we were doing. We were going out, we hit a target, come back, um, and then reset and do it all over again. And so for everybody, like a point raid would be when you're just you, you attack a target. You're going in. You're trying to. It's what you think about. A lot of people when they think about like the army or whatever is they're kicking in the doors, they're doing the raid, they're killing whoever's inside the target or capturing or whatever, and then they're they're exfilling off the off the X and getting out of there. So just to, in layman's terms, just to explain that. Yeah, and I think what makes Ranger Regiment so so good at their job is it's not that we have flashy techniques or we have all this technology or, you know, we got all this money that we can just dump into whatever it's, it's, we literally just do the basics until they're second nature. Like you, if you master the basics, then you can, you can start moving into other things, but like you're always going to come back to that basic set of skills. And like, if you, if you have, if you know, like where to be on target and you know how to clear a room, just, doing those things correct over and over and over and over again. Not like that 10th mountain video that was circulating around the internet where they were flagging everybody. Like that was an abortion. That's one of the worst things I've ever seen in my entire life. And then to find out like it was the Sergeant major's directive to like, well, you should have the discipline not to shoot your, your buddy. I'm like, yeah, I've, I've had that, but I still don't fucking like it when old boy here has a, an M4 pointed at my dome as I'm kicking in a door. Like, no, no way, man. That would never fly anywhere else. Dude, me and Luke were just talking about talking about this, and you know, I've been fortunate enough. So, full disclosure, I am not a ranger. I'm not ranger qualified, nor am I in battalion. But I've been fortunate enough to all my deployments have been with Ranger Regiment um, or supporting. Let's just let's just leave it at yeah. with Ranger Regiment for uh, opsec sake. But anyway, um, I've been super fortunate to like witness that, and it's it's I love what you said about master the basics because it's super true. And man, I think that's a, a lot of things just in the soft community as a whole. Like the reason that makes these guys good is it's not that they're not they're not John Wick out there, but they are good at the most fundamental tasks. Let me rephrase that: they are great at the fundamental tasks, so that makes them great at the big picture, you know, being able to work through weapons, malfunctions under nods with your eyes closed, whatever, being able to, you know, know where you're at on target and how to move with a weapon, how to and like knowing where your buddy's at, how he's going to move. And just one thing I absolutely love about Ranger Regiment and all the training cycles I've done, I've been fortunate enough to work with all three battalions is they like the, the level that y'all train at man is just it's it's absolutely incredible and i i get that you know the conventional army probably they don't have the resources they probably don't have the funding you know it, it's harder for them to do it but still like the level y'all train i mean just if there's downtime like seeing squad leaders team leaders just taking their guys and doing glass house drills um and just running through like i've seen squad leaders like blindfold their saw gunners their 48 gunners and making them just do drills over and over and over and it does it get boring does it get probably redundant and not fun absolutely but man when you're on target and you see that big piece coming together it's it's fucking sexy man and like there's no other way to put it it just looks good it looks smooth and it's it's great so it's it's one of the biggest things that i love about working with ranger regiment man it's just such a master of the basics and then when it comes down to it man it just it it works y'all are fucking y'all are good 
Yeah, man. And when and when the shit hits the fan, like you don't rise to to the occasion like everybody thinks. Like, oh, well, you know, when it actually happens, you know, I'll I'll bring myself up to that level. No, you that's that is not what happened. You start getting shot at from everywhere. Like you resort to what you have done and what you have trained to do. Like your body goes on autopilot. And if you haven't done shit, then you're just gonna sit there and you're gonna freeze and you're gonna get killed. Like you have to know how to react to every situation. You're right, man. You're 100% right. I'm not in regiment, obviously. Everybody knows I'm in the 4th Infantry Division. But just from an outsider looking in, and as, you know, getting ready to take command. And so as a commander, like what I try to message or what I will message and what I talk to, I did it as a platoon leader and just throughout my time is like, it's all about that. It's mastering the fundamentals. And I use Ranger Regiment as an example. Like the biggest difference that I see is – one, it's, it's the caliber of person. That's the biggest thing. I think the Ranger Regiment's ability to fire on the spot and RFS guys is really what sets that unit apart from every other conventional infantry unit on the planet. Is like there's the culture, there's everything else, but like when a dude's a shitbag and he's a turd, he's gone, he's out of there, and that is huge. That that's just something that the conventional army just cannot do. Uh, it takes a lot longer. You've got to chapter him. You got to do build a pack and all this other stuff. Other things, time, right? Like our time isn't protected, red cycle tasking is all the other bullshit. Um, but really it's the caliber of individual. And then it's the self-policing and the standards that set and the, the pride in the unit. And you see it in some of your other units. Like I was in 3rd Brigade, 101st, the Rakasans. That's probably one of those pride. They're really obnoxious for those of you that know about the Rakasans. But it's a very prideful, conventional infantry unit. And we, when you can capture that culture, it builds and builds. And regiment takes that to the whole next level to where you've got guys that just buy in so much like that is their entire identity is that I'm a ranger and I think that's powerful and it's it's just building that culture and that identity and then getting rid of the turds and then just exactly what you guys are talking about mastering the fundamentals those lower level leaders being engaged making sure their guys aren't just sitting around they're running through drills they're always always moving forward and learning and engaging and that's I've, I mean, I always say, like, if I could redo my life, I would either go to college and then go in as a, a specialist and with the option 40 contract and try to do that, or I would just go straight out of high school. Because I feel like it would have – it took me a long time to grow and mature with a lot of the discipline stuff. And I think if I had started in reverse and started in regiment and gotten my ass kicked because I was just like a, a fuckhead kid and had just gotten dicked down enough, it would have really set me up for success far sooner. And anybody that I talk to that wants to go do the military, do the infantry thing, I always try to like, hey, you should start out in regiment because you learn the fundamentals so well and it's going to springboard you no matter what you want to do. If you want to try to do SF, if you want to try to do, you know, you know, ship that's higher and better than that. If you want to go work for the government, like you, anything you want to do, regiment is going to set you up huge for it. This isn't a pitch for regiment, but it just it, it really is an impressive organization. I mean, it sure sounds like a pitch for regiment, but I, you're you're definitely right about the caliber of person because you need self-starting people. Like, yeah, we have, we have a little bit more cash than, than conventional army units, but it takes zero money to set up a glass house for your deeds. It takes zero dollars to like do a class on nods and turn off the lights in your cage and, and have dudes, you know, switch out batteries in the dark or do reloads in the dark or, you know, run, run your guys through a slick medical lane. Like there's, there's no cash there. There's, you have, you have the bodies, you have the equipment already. Like it just takes somebody that actually gives a shit to do it. 
yeah, that last part is, is key there, man. It, it takes, it takes someone that, that cares. And on the EOD side, you know, um, uh, we talk about this frequently and, and I was fortunate enough from straight out of EOD school, I assess for the unit that I'm in right now. So I don't know conventional EOD at all, but guys that come to our unit that were team leaders or um, team members in the EOD career field, it doesn't matter. And a lot of them say that like that there's like one of the biggest detriments in the EOD community is that you get these guys that got promoted so fast during the surge that got the hit um, E6, E7, and they they never really learned those jobs. They just got put in those jobs and there were so many, you know, and it's just when you have these masses and all these numbers, you can kind of get away with more, you know, you're, you're kind of sheltered by the, by the size of a community, so to speak. And now what's happening when things are slowing down and the numbers are dwindling a little bit, um, because it's all cyclic, right. Um, and a lot of guys that are coming from conventional units are saying that, that you know, they're, they're just not getting trained. They're, they're spending more time on their phone during the day, fucking off than they are training. And the reason for that is because people aren't taking it upon themselves exactly like you're saying, and so it all does come back to that caliber of man, that caliber of, you know, it's on the individual and people like the super cliche. And I can't believe I want to, about to say this, but people want to do cool guy shit until it's time to do cool guy shit. And you don't get good at this stuff by sitting in a cage on a phone. You get good at doing it by doing dry fire drills, by fucking changing out batteries and your nods in the dark, by taking your weapon apart a hundred times and putting it back together by running through malfunctions by these team leaders and the NCOs and the fucking PLs and all the leadership, making sure that your guys are training. And in all honesty, like your, your high up leadership, they shouldn't have to, because it's on those E fives, E sixes to really make sure that all that stuff's happening, but it just doesn't, it doesn't happen so much in the conventional military. And so one of the biggest reasons that I got away from that, I did two and a half years at Fort hood is I was so disgusted at, how much I was surrounded by mediocrity, man, and how many people are just okay with being average. And I was just like, this is not what I thought the army was going to be. This is not what I thought the military was going to be. And it was disgusting. It was absolutely fucking disgusting. And so I was like, this is not what I'm doing for 20 years. Um, and I knew about the 28th and I knew that that was the route I wanted to take. And so I went to EOD school and assessed and got fortunate enough to make it. So I think you're, I think you hit the nail on the head with that, Derek, about how it's, it's on the individual. Yeah, I was, I was totally surprised about you know how everything went. Like, cause I had I had no idea how the army operated at all before I got in. So, like, as I was going to basic training, I was like, "Man, this is gonna be really, really tough." And you know, you get there and you're like, "Well, this is this is fucking nothing." And then you know, I thought airborne was gonna be super hard. Like, they were just gonna run us into the ground because like that's what you hear. You you run everywhere, but like it's a slow jog. And then I was like, well, RASP, a ranger assessment and selection program. So it's an eight week course and that's what will get you into ranger regiment. When I go to RASP, like that's going to be, that's going to be completely another level. Like I won't be able to, I won't be able to complete it. And like, like, yeah, there's some tough parts to that, but it's, it's not anything like literally all you have to do is not quit. Um, but like, as long as you can, do a 12 mile ruck under three hours. As long as you can pass your PT test, as long as you can do a five mile in under 40 minutes, you're fucking, you're good. Like these aren't, these aren't these unattainable benchmarks 
anybody can do this shit. If you, if you have a little bit of, I want to in you, like I remember this one dude, I don't understand why, but he could not run for shit. And he was like a smaller dude in shape, but like could not run, had no cardio whatsoever. And, uh, we're doing our five mile and the dude ran so hard that he shit himself, like shit himself and still failed by 30 seconds. I felt so bad for this bro because he, he wanted he wanted to be a ranger so oh, bad. No. God like, damn! Like, it, they, they wouldn't even let him on the bus. He had to ride in the back of one of the trucks, back up to our barracks to get a shower, and then they sent his ass to Worldwide. Oh man, dude, that that reminds me of a funny story that I have to insert now. So when I was conventional military man, I was a, uh, I made it to the whopping rank of corporal. Granted, the two and a half years, so don't read into that too much. Um, but I was I was leading worst rank ever. Yeah, dude, horrible. It was absolute shit. And so I was an FO in an infantry company, and I was I was leading like and I was like a squad's worth of dudes. Um, and we were running down Battalion Avenue on Fort Hood. If anyone in the military's ever been Fort Hood, you know what I'm talking about. And they closed down this road, and you're running right. And this dude in front of us, like you see him falling back. Uh, uh, he was in a different unit, different formation, but you see him falling back to um the rear of the formation and i was kind of in my head like oh this dude's about to fall out of a run he looked like he was hurting so i thought he was like about to collapse or something so i'm paying attention well it was winter months so we're wearing winter pts long pants and then he starts hopping on one leg and dude he shakes out a turd out of the bottom of his pants this dude just straight up fell to the back of a formation took a shit while he was running and then got right back in formation just kicked a turd out right on the road that's, that's fucking hilarious. that's determination right there to, to kick a turd out of your, your pants leg and then just keep running. Dude, I mean I was Yeah, yeah. I mean I was I was disgusted and impressed at the same time. The bad part is is when we turned around and came back, it had been it had been squished, let's just say. Oh, <laughs> oh man, that's that's wild. So uh <clears throat> Derek, being a being a medic, obviously you, you went through RASP, obviously got selected there, and then you go to Sockham, right? Yeah. Um, so I had to wait um, like five months to uh, actually get a slot to Sockham, though. So you end up just going and working at one of the clinics there on the Ranger footprint, and like you don't know shit, so you're just trying to like try not to try not to get cut at that point because we still had dudes getting cut out, like just getting sent to the 82nd for being screw ups there. Like you already made it through rasp and now you're in pre pre Sockham and you get cut. Like, so we were terrified because like, I think uh, the first week we were there, there was like three or four dudes that had been there for a couple months that just got booted. And we're like, son of a bitch, it's not over. So explain the uh, Sockham. So that's the, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's a special operations combat medic course, right? Yeah. So, um, at that time, I don't know if this, I don't know if the seals are still going there, but, um, when I was going, we had, um, the SF cats, us seals, um, the swick boat guys for the Navy, um, the, uh, the Sarks for the Navy. Um, trying to think who else I think that's about it. Or at that point, PJs had already left and started their own, medic school i think the seals are still there derek and Wes. so we got lucky enough do you know duncan davis just to throw out a name yeah 
Yeah. So um, he's he was teaching at Sockham and he actually brought us in during COVID when some of the classes were shorter and we got to do basically like an RFR while they were doing Sockham refresher um, for guys. And they, they still had uh, seal medics there. And okay. yeah, so it was, it was really cool to be able to go do that um, and, and tag along. Cause you know, we, we obviously are tied in mm-hmm. with y'all pretty close um, cause our, our jobs mesh and overlap a lot. Um, and so uh, it, it was, it was phenomenal to go there and see that. But I, I think granted it was Sockham refresher, but I do think that the, the seals are still, still using that. Okay, cool. I think I saw somewhere actually on the gram on on one of those meme pages where they were bitching as a. I think that the SEAL command just announced that they're going to split off from Sokka and try to do their own thing. And it sounds like all the SEAL medics are. I don't really know. This is just is from an outsider like reading, but it seems like they're pretty pissed off about it because they want to stay in Sokka, which I think it makes a lot of sense to have that common teaching for all the special operations across the force. Yeah, I mean, even when I was there, there was talk of of them not like. The dudes that were in our class were like, yeah, I think we're going to be one of the last classes to come through here. So like, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a lot of money to run that shit. So like, why would you, if you got money to burn, I guess, start up your own medic school. But like, if you don't have to, then why not just send your dudes there? And, and for those, for like the SEAL guys, it's not a requirement for them. Like if, if they would have failed Sockham at any point, like they just go to their team, no big deal. But for me, had I failed Sockham, I go to the 82nd. So it's, it's all or nothing for me. Um, so I guess maybe that's maybe part of it too. You know, if they don't care whether they get through it or not, like why not do your own school? You can tailor it to, to your actual needs and then maybe get a better product. I'm not, I'm not sure, but, um, yeah. So tell us a little bit about your experience at Sockham, like what that looked like and, you know, how that kind of sets you up for later in life. All right. So, uh, it starts off with paramedic, um, just basic or not paramedic, but, um, basic EMT. And I think now actually they've, they've switched it to where you actually do come out with a paramedic. Um, I'm not sure it's been a while, but, uh, at that point, the whole the whole thing about Sockham is you're you're a zero to hero. It's a zero to hero course. Like you're getting guys that have that've come in there with literally no medical experience whatsoever. You know, because like when you go through the the SF pipeline, depending on how your GT score is, they just like tell you what you're going to be. Like you know, you're you scored high enough. Guess what? You're an 18 Delta. So re- report to Sockham, um, and. You know, if if you've got zero experience whatsoever, then you're kind of behind the curve. But you'd be surprised the amount of dudes. We had two dudes in our class who were already fucking EMTs because when you know you're in Ranger Regiment, you get AIT, you go to Medic AIT, get a six like regular basic sixty eight whiskey AIT, and you test for the National Registry for EMT basic there. So we're already EMTs before we even get there. And in Sockham, they make you do the EMT course and then you have to do the, the Sockham final for EMT. And we would have dudes fail that and get kicked out of Sockham, like within the first, the first fucking like six weeks, like, and it blew my mind. Um, but the first part of it is it's just a lot of, of, uh, of book learning, um, from, from EMT, you go to clean medicine and, um, 
anatomy and physiology. Um, and like, I remember doing like an eight hour lecture on the GI system. And the only thing that I remember from it is it only takes about 30 pounds of pressure inside your intestines to shit yourself. Like it's, it's so much, it's, it's so much information (laughs) that you can't retain it all. Like you just have to study for what you have coming up and then brain dump it all and just move on to the next one because it's you trying to learn anything in there is it's extremely difficult. Unfortunately, that's like most army courses. You just memorize it and then dump it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that was my, uh, my big issue with like EFMB or the expert medical field badge. You know, you're a lot of times when I went through it, like we're using outdated medicine. There's like, there's no practical application to it at the time. And I'm like, so basically you just want me to parrot this back to you. And if I do that, you're going to give me a shiny thing to put on my uniform. Like, what the fuck is this? That's exactly how EIB is as well. And it's so dumb because like uh, we have, there's medical lanes on the EIB thing. And what they're teaching, not only is it, it's not even outdated. It just doesn't make any sense. It's just like a check the block to do certain tasks. And so you'll do like a series of things on the dummy that make no sense like sequentially. Like you would never do this on an actual casualty. And you're like, why are we teaching our guys this? And then saying they're experts if they, if they can, can regurgitate it back and, you know, dance to the tune of the fucking Pied Piper. Yeah. It's unfortunately it's like every, any big organization like change takes time. And if nobody's really wanting to do it, then it's not going to happen. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, it's, it's frustrating. I mean, it's frustrating for me, like the way I look at it, I think we should be teaching the skills, not like, the test, which is what we do. Like if you don't do it exactly the way the book says it in exact order, it's, it's, it's insanity. And I know it's the same. They do it for the ESB. Now the expert soldier badge and the, obviously for you guys, it sounds like as well for the medical side. So eventually it might change where we actually focus on making true experts on the tasks, not just having them trained to, you know, regurgitate the fucking book, but it may not change. <laughs> it's been like that for probably a hundred years. So yeah. Yeah, I I don't see it changing anytime soon unless like there's some one star that wants an OER bullet and wants a second star and rewrites all this shit. But uh, I doubt it ever happens like that. Yeah, so like the the second part of Sockham is all your your trauma medicine. So you um you start getting to actually like what you do in a scenario where you've got someone that's either blown up or shot, you know, what's going on with the body physiologically. And, um, the, the biggest dropout, the biggest, biggest washout rate is in trauma too, because like, that's when you actually start doing your patient sequence and, and learning that like, and if it doesn't take much to, uh, to get screwed, actually it was so cold when, um, when we did our test day, that one of the dudes that I was with, the uh, the line on his sailing bag froze, and and so like when he went to throw it open, it didn't it didn't run. So like everybody thinks he's not in the vein, so he gets failed because he like went over time because he had like started a new IV and he's like I know I was in, and uh, sure enough like the water 
the saline water inside the IV line had frozen in the time it took to like get get graded. Like it was insane. And it's and I know there's stressful situation like we've already talked Damn, about man. about before. Like you you know you hard reset. Like if something goes wrong, like um I was uh I was doing a lane on a guy and the first part, you know, you work on you're working on your buddies. And there's it's just like everything else in the army, there's a script that you gotta follow. And so, you know, you you would do all your major life threats and then you'd get into your secondary survey and at one point you had to like you would look at their abdomen and then you would listen to it for bowel sounds and then you would uh, like poke around and feel for for anything. And then from there you would have to like go down to their groin and you have to like look at their dick. You'd have to like grab it, look at the head, make sure there wasn't any blood coming out of it. So like I check the dude's abdomen and then I go down to his groin and I grab his dick. And like, as soon as I grabbed his dick, my instructor was like, Hey man, you got some bruising up there by his liver. And I just kind of froze. Cause that was the first time he'd ever like thrown that at me. And I was like trying to think like, okay, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And all the while I've got this kid's dick in my hand and it felt like a fucking eternity. And then I realized like, oh, I don't do anything for that. And I just like, I was like, oh, I don't do anything. And I just like threw the kid's dick back in his pants and like moved on. I was like, Jesus. Hey, Derek, man. There's no judgment here. All right. So luckily he had that boner before I started. <laughs> okay. yeah. I, unfortunately, I have seen way more dick than I ever wanted to in my entire life. Like it's, it's sad. Yeah. I can imagine uh, being a medic. You see a lot of cock. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's not, it, it does have some advantages. Like, um, so when I actually got to third bat, there used to be chicken parm on Thursdays and the defect. And it was amazing. So I was like going over the defect one day on a Thursday and we hadn't had it in a while. And, uh, the FO in my company was my, one of my, in my platoon was a good buddy was walking out and I was like, Hey man, is there chicken parm in there? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They got a bunch. And I'm like, sick. So I went in, there wasn't any. And I was just like, so pissed off. I didn't even eat. I just went back to the cage. And, um, a couple weeks later, the dude comes up and he's like, Hey, any way I can get tested for STDs? He's like, I met this chick. I really like her. You know, but, um, I've been not so good like before this. So I'd like to like, I want to get checked out and I was like, yeah, no problem. So like I put him in for a full STD panel and then it popped up in my head, like what he did to me. So after a couple of days, he comes back and, uh, he's like, Hey, does this test come back? I was like, yeah, let's go outside and talk. So we go outside and I'm like, Hey man, you know, everything came back clean except for hep C. And he's like, okay, well, he's like, what's, what's that? And I was like, it's a, it's a virus that affects your liver. Uh, you can live with it. You know, it's it, it, with, with medicine, we can manage it, but you're going to have it for the rest of your life. And he's like, are you, are you serious? And I was like, yeah. And then I just walked away. And so I saw him a couple hours later and he was sitting in his cage and he, he was looking rough. And I was like, Hey man, how you doing? And he's like, well, not so great. And I was like, yeah, I understand. And I was like, Hey, remember a couple weeks ago when you told me there was chicken parm, the defect? Well, there wasn't. And you don't have hep C. <laughs> <laughs> he like lost it. He was like, you motherfucker. I was about to start calling every girl that I had slept with. 
I guess I should have waited a little longer then. <laughs> oh, jeez. Fucking medics, there's, dude. There's two people you don't fucking fuck with, medics. like your medic and your platoon sergeant. Oh, man. That's hilarious. And your people who make your food. <laughs> yeah, I guess they are. Yeah, three people. All right. Speaking of food, this is the perfect time to plug <laughs> our favorite mortgage broker, Casey Burns. Yeah, that's. I'm sure that's that's where Casey once uh, thrown in. <laughs> oh man! So, as everybody that listens to this podcast knows, Casey Burns is the official mortgage lender of the Hunt with Deep podcast. He's based out of Charlotte, North Carolina, and but he can practice all over the United States, all fifty states. He's licensed to do and handle all your mortgage needs. Uh, he specializes and works extensively with active duty and veterans uh, with VA loans and knows them inside out. He can also handle uh, FHA loans, conventional loans, USD, uh, USDA loans, all investment loans. Like he does it all. And he's a great guy just to call bullshit with, figure out what your options are. You know, maybe you want to look at refinancing your house right now while interest rates are low. Maybe you want to look at, you know, buying, upgrading or getting into some investing. And he's a guy to talk to and he'll help you out. He'll let you know whether he can or can't help. And even if he can't help, he'll still stay in contact with you and try to help you out and guide you in the right direction. And then recommend, you know, people that he knows that might be his competitors, but he knows and trusts to then help you out. And that's just the kind of guy Casey is. So if you want to talk to Casey, give him a shout at 919-710-1864 or hit him up on email at casey.burns at primelending.com. You can also check out his uh, website and all of his reviews by visiting closewithcasey.com. Thanks, y'all. All right, Derek, kind of give us a rundown after, because I know, you know, when a, when a young new ranger shows up to the to battalion, you know, fresh out of, you know, either RASP or SOCOM, it can be kind of a wake-up call where you kind of think maybe you made it through and then you, you get kicked in the teeth a little bit. What was that like? Dude, I dreaded it. Um, like the worst day of SOCOM for me, was um was graduation day because i i see like all these dudes that were 18x or like you know 18 deltas at this point um who had been in the army maybe half the time i had now just got promoted to e5 and i'm about to go to third bet and get dicked down like a fucking regular private like i it was one of the most disheartening things I, i've ever had to deal with in my military career i was like dude this sucks like because, you know, in Ranger Regiment, like you go, anyone that doesn't have a tab basically is a private, you know, like once you get like maybe E6 or whatever, you get a little bit of, of respect. But even then, like, I remember one time I was in the S1 shop and, uh, one of my buddies who was a corporal, who was, he was tabbed, was in there and he needed something. And, uh, the dude that was running the, uh, the S1 shop was a complete douche. He was an untabbed E5 or E6 promotable or like, I don't know. I can't remember what the hell he was. He's an asshole is what he was. Um, so he like, he comes up to uh, my buddy and he's like, Hey, what do you need? And he was like, Oh, you know, I just need a, uh, I don't know if he needed like his ERB printed or I don't know, something, or maybe get something updated on his ERB. And he's just like talking to him like a normal dude. And, uh, and so he is, he's like, what rank are you? And my buddy's like, corporal. And uh, he's like, and what rank am I? And he goes, you're an untabbed E5. <laughs> I lost it. I was like, fuck him. <laughs> oh, geez. Yeah. But, you know, if 
once you that's hilarious once you get there you know, you've got to you've got to prove yourself and the way you prove yourself is you get fucked down and you know you get you get treated like you're not an adult um luckily for me and the dude that uh I graduated with Herbert, who is one of my best friends still to this day. Like we were both older. Um, he was a concert tuba player before he got in the army. And uh, he was like 20, like seven, 28. And like I was 31 when I graduated RASP or graduated Sockham and went to third bat. So like we were both older and like, so we had, had a, I think we had a little bit of an edge because we weren't completely retarded. We weren't just these young kids that didn't have any any experience whatsoever. You know, we we could look after ourselves. So really, we didn't get screwed with all that much. And even as a medic, uh, you really only get fucked with by other medics down there for the most part, as long as you're not an idiot. Yeah, I could see that for sure. Um, I kind of want to pivot a little bit here because I feel like we could talk about the regiment stuff, and I definitely want to. I'll, we'll have to definitely have you back on and talk about kind of your experiences in regiment and then deployments and all that. What I really want to get to is uh, just kind of fast forward to when you um, you get out of the regiment and then you decide to kind of start your own thing and your own business and talk about your knife company a little bit and, you know, just what that looks like and what made you decide to do that and then and plug the, the business as well. Sure. Um, I'd always like, you know, growing up hunting, you, know, you always use knives, so you like knives and, and you know. I, uh, I could never really find a knife that I liked and, um, I had bought a, uh, a bench made knife that I, I really liked, uh, cause I like a small skinning knife and we got like a 40% off deal when I was in regiment. So I bought one that I, that I liked and, uh, I used it for a while. And after I took my, my nephew hunting and he killed his first deer, I gave it to him for Christmas. So I was like, well, fuck, I'm out of a knife. And, uh. I was on my last deployment in the mill and I was just like, screw it. I'm going to, I'm going to make a knife when I get back. So I just watched every YouTube video I could for four months about making knives. And, um, when I got home, I bought some steel, a couple files, a vice, and I just fumble fucked my way through it. And, uh, I used a couple cinder blocks and a hairdryer that my mom had left in my house when she came to visit to make a forge so I could heat treat. And, um, that's, that was how I made my first knife. And I, I just, I liked it. So I just kept doing it. And, um, it was weird because that right after I posted that first knife, I had a bunch of friends who were like, Oh, make me a knife, make me a knife. And I'm like, I don't, I don't even know what I'm doing. Like, I don't like, just sell me one. I'm like, I'm not going to sell anybody anything. I, I suck. I'm making knives with, you know, I, I had bought a grinder right after I made my first knife from Home Depot that was like a little, like little bench grinder. I was like, it, just cause I was, I wasn't going to hand file that shit again. Cause it was sucked. It took forever. And, um, I was like, look, it, I'm making knives on a grinder that you don't make knives on. I've got a, a hairdryer to, to try and heat treat these damn things. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. I was like, but if you pay for just the, like just the materials, like if you just give me like 30 bucks for materials, I'll make a knife for you. And, uh, it just kind of took off from there. And, um, once I, I started making more, I was like, well, I don't want my Instagram just like full of knives, like some weirdo. So I, I just made, I made, I came up with the, the stand to blade company thing just cause of stand to, and it was like a ranger thing. And I was like, well, that's thought it was kind of a cool name and I didn't really want to use my name. So I just came up with that and it, 
it just took off from there. And, um, I had, a I had a buddy who was a knife maker from Alabama. And like, after I sold my house in Columbus, waiting to start the job that I have now, I got kind of like restless. Cause I couldn't, I couldn't like work with my hands at all. Cause I didn't have any place to do it. And my girlfriend, Jenna was like, you know, why don't you go up to Bren's and go hang out with him, see his shop, work with him and like, see what happens. And I was like, all right, yeah, cool. So I went up there one day and, um, I used like a, a real knife making grinder for the first time. And, um, he was like, dude, you got to meet Charlie, the guy that I'm apprentice apprenticing under. He's like, he's awesome. And I was like, well, we got time for that. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I thought we were going to have to drive like far. Cause I didn't know like any other knife makers in the area. So I jump into Bren's truck and we drive like five minutes down the road and I meet Charlie and, uh, he just took me under his wing and I was waiting for my clearance for my new job. And for like five months, I just went to his shop every day and just made knives. And, uh, that was like how it all kind of started. And, um, one of my buddies, he works for North American rescue. He, uh, he had saw like the progress and posted my knives on there. And that was like one of the big pushes where I, I, I started getting orders and I was like, well, shit, I guess this is a, actually a, a no shit business now that's badass man so when did you decide to like full-on go into it as a business like instead of like just a little side hustle hobby to try to make a go of it as you know doing some marketing and taking you know large-scale orders and really getting after it i think it was after i think it was after the the north american rescue thing man because like at that point i was selling some knives you know like um the night that I went up to uh, that shop with, with Brent and Charlie, it was um, right before the Super Bowl. And so I, I had worked on a couple knives that I'd already made. And then I like brought them back to my girlfriend's house and her brother was having a Super Bowl party the next day. And um, I gave a knife that I had promised to uh, one of the guys that was there. And I sold the other two that I had made at that party and then got an order for four more right there. And I was like, all right, well it's, it's people that I knew were that were ordering. It wasn't, you know, strangers. And, and when they made that post on North American rescue, like people that I had never met before started like liking my stuff and, and ordering it. And I was like, well, I guess, you know, it's, it's something that people actually want. It's not just like my friends helping me out. You know, it's, it's something that, somebody that has no ties to me whatsoever has saw and is willing to put their hard earned money down on. So maybe it is, maybe there is something to this. So I should try to go after it. And I, I've never really had a desire to like have a, have a business before. And um, so like this whole thing was completely new to me and it's, it's really been a lot of fun. I and mean, it's been a lot of trial and error, but it's been, it's been fun as shit. Yeah. It's funny. You say the, I remember, I can still remember like the first time I got an order that was from somebody I didn't know. You know, we got a bunch of orders, but a lot of times it was from like buddies, even buddies I hadn't talked to in a while that would just like, you know, buy something, you know, try to support me. But when I said that first one that was like, this guy doesn't know me from anybody. And then, you know, you get a couple more of those and it starts to build and you start to realize like, hey, I'm providing something that people actually give a shit about. Like I would have never expected that. I never really expected it. So it's definitely, you know, kind of, I don't want to say life changing, but it is, it is a mindset changing moment. I think for somebody who has a small business. Yeah, exactly. Because you're, you expect your, your friends and family 
I mean, I guess not expect, but like, I know for me, like if, if my friend has a business and it's something that I need, unless he's a complete and utter fuck up, like I'm going to go through, I'm going to go and, and help his business now, like no matter what, but like to have, to have somebody that, you know, doesn't know you and, and sees your stuff or, or like sees what you're putting out on social media and relates to you enough to where they're like, I want to support that guy. Like that's, that's a huge thing for, for somebody that's just starting out. Yeah. It a hundred percent is. Um, so like tying this all back to hunting, like obviously me and you are working together right now to try to develop, you sent me a, a kind of a prototype for a, I don't want to call it like the HLE knife, but like a knife that we're kind of designing together to be used, but you've got several options right now that I think are great for, for hunting. Why don't you talk about some of those, uh, just for folks that might be interested in taking a look at them. Yeah. So, um, the, really the first, um, uh like hunt, like no shit hunting knife that I design. I call it the Loki. I name all my uh, knives after family dogs. And since we're, we're getting up there in, in uh, types of knives that I'm making and I'm running out of family dogs, I'm going to have to figure out maybe a new system here soon. Um, but I really like a, a small knife for skinning. And uh, so that was like why I, I designed that one. Um, and then I know some people like my uncle was, uh, was telling me that he wanted you know, a longer, something a little bit different for, uh, for skinning cause he likes a longer knife. So that was when I, uh, decided to come up with the, uh, the design for what I call the Duke. It's a little bit longer. It's like a nine and a half or nine and a quarter inch, um, drop point knife. And, um, it's, it's a little bit, it's a little bit longer, a little bit heavier. Um, and maybe a little easier to get into, uh, places if you can't reach with, with just a the Loki, cause it's, it only has like a three and a quarter inch blade. Um, and then I, the second, the third knife that I designed, I called the Lucy and it was like kind of a hybrid between the two. Um, and I, I'd seen where a lot of military dudes who were making knives were kind of going the tactical route and like, yeah, I mean, that's, that's nice and all, but like there's more dudes that are, that are hunting than, are stabbing guys on a regular basis. So that was kind of why I just kind of geared my stuff more towards the hunting aspect. Oh, come on now, Derek. <laughs> you're not, you're not just randomly stabbing dudes on the street every day. <laughs> I mean, if somebody needs cut, I'll cut them, but I, mean, I don't go out. I'd rather just, I'd rather just shoot them because like nobody wins in a knife fight, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so on that, I've, I was looking at some of your stuff just now, actually, as you were talking Um. Are you, are you anticipate getting into any, like, uh, I don't want to say kitchen knives cause it's not really what I'm talking about, but more like, like meat knives, like camp knives, um, things that you could use like a multi-purpose, like chopper slicer cut meat. Um, cause I w- I'm in the market for one and it's kind of why I'm asking. So I've got, um, a Siberian chef knife that I call the June and I'm actually working right now on, um, a couple of chef sets. It's going to be a, uh, a five knife chef set that I'm um, working on. My buddy has a, uh, a design, uh, an engineering company. He's actually working on um, the files for me so I can send them to the water jet and get them cut out right now. Um, they should be done within the next week or so. Um, but yeah, I, I do have a couple and I have a, I, I would say it's a camp knife. It's called the bull. Um, actually my old senior medic, um, requested this knife and I liked it so much that I 
decided to make it one of my production knives and it's it's like a no shit camp knife that you can you can use to beat the hell out of that thing like if you if you wanted to split kindling with it you could do it you know it's it's pretty uh it's a pretty stout knife um but i do have some some chef stuff and uh some more cooking knives that are going to be on the way too i'm looking at the bowl right now yes that's something i might be uh might be hitting you up for an order here soon cool yeah just let me know where can uh, where can everybody find your knives, man? Uh, a lot of my stuff, uh, the, for the most part, is it's on Instagram at uh, Stand Two Blade Company, and um, I also have a website StandTwoBladeCompany dot com. Um, you can send a messenger pigeon. Really, like I don't care how you get a hold of me. Um, and how do we reach you by messenger pigeon? Um, you just uh, send it south to Florida, dude. Just point, point south. <laughs> But yeah, y'all should de- definitely go check out all his his stuff because he's got some pretty awesome knives. He's got some merch. He's got patches. He's got like all, all sorts of cool shit. And his logos are, are pretty sweet. Um, I know you went through a, a logo overhaul about a year back or so, and I think those things came out fucking badass. Yeah, the company that did it for me, Primo Print, um, they crushed it. You know, they they were. I was I was not looking to like completely redesign what what I had. And they sent this to me and I was like completely blown away. I was like, that's awesome. Like it was, it was something that I never would have thought of, but, um, you know, they, they crushed it and they were so easy to work with. Yeah, they did a, they did a great job, man. But we're coming up on just shy of an hour and a half here. So, um, I'm going to wrap this one up, but man, we're definitely going to have you back on. Cause like we didn't even get to a inkling of what all I wanted to talk about. Obviously we, we left it off right at you arriving to regiment. And so I think we can talk about your experience there, obviously some of your deployments and your experience as a medic and then, uh, you know, stuff, anything you want to talk about from afterwards, but, and really I want to talk at some point, have you on to talk about like some medical stuff and some, you know, some of the nitty gritty of what guys should be looking at for their med kits, for the backcountry, for the house, for the vehicle, and some of that kind of preparedness stuff. And obviously you're, you've got a ton of experience in that regard and can offer, offer a lot of good insight. Definitely, man. I'd love to be back. Yeah, we'll definitely do it, do it, uh, do it soon, man. So, uh, you got, you got any closing thoughts, man? Uh, no, I mean, uh, I think we covered a lot of shit on here. We like, like you said, we didn't get to a quarter of the stuff that you had had planned. I guess we kind of rambled there at the beginning talking about getting hard with dudes. Um, so I'm glad we got it back on track towards the end. <laughs> I mean, we can talk about getting hard with dudes for hours, you know. That is true. <laughs> it's like uh, we were um, we were having a, a, a meeting, and uh, our boss was like, "Hey, you boys are about to get a dick sandwich, no ranch." And I was like, "Good, I fucking hate ranch." <laughs> <laughs> Something in the last forty-five seconds is going to be the title of this podcast. I'm to figure out what it is. I hate ranch. Dick sandwich, no ranch. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. Oh shit, man. Uh, yeah, this was, this was awesome, dude. I, I really appreciate your time and I really uh, appreciate you coming on. Um, Evan, what do you got for us for the, for closing out? No, nothing. It's just, it's good to, it's good to be sitting here and talking to Derek. I know, I know uh, me and you, me and uh, Derek actually met overseas. Uh, we didn't work together in the sense of like when, when he was in regiment and me working with regiment, but our paths crossed, yeah, crossed we did. doing some other things. It was actually, didn't we? Yeah. 
Oh yeah, 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 yeah. You are right. You are correct. Yep. Yeah, it was a super shitty day. Yeah, you are right. You are. Right. We were just on opposite sides of the old valley yep. there. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I completely forgot about that, man. Maybe it's a side effect of how shitty of a day that was. The day that we worked together at the new job was a shitty day as well. So maybe it's it's something with you. Like I don't think I want to work with you anymore. <laughs> You know, man, you're not the first person to say that. They're like, dude, I'm staying the fuck away from you <laughs> because you are just a bullet magnet. And I'm like, yeah, well, I'm sorry. I don't know what you want me to say to that. Like, I don't really. <laughs> no, bro. Like, I always want to follow the EUD guy. I'm not trying to get fucking robot legs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but no, it's it's good to it's good to be here and doing this with you, man. Especially after we've worked together in that capacity, and you know, we we uh, ran into each other after you met Luke on the social medias to quote my brother. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's just, it's good to have you here. And I'm, I'm really looking really, really happy to, to, you know, we're both on the team with Luke and um, glad to have you on uh, as an HLE team member. And then obviously super excited to, to see where that goes. I think you bring a lot to the team and I'm, I'm just super pumped, man. It's good to, good to have you here. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm just happy to be here as well. Like it's a, it's a great group of group guys that, that Luke's put together, like a lot of degenerates, but good dudes talking to you caleb <laughs> yeah that piece of shit yeah definitely definitely caleb <laughs> i didn't i didn't want to name drop but i mean if evan's gonna do it fuck it oh man well yeah like like i said before i really appreciate you having or jesus christ i can't talk today i really appreciate you coming on and then uh hopefully we can do this in person soon man uh would really love to sit down and, and toss you know a beer or 10 back and, and knock a podcast or, or two out It'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, that would be awesome. I'm trying to get out to uh, Colorado for a scouting trip for the uh, the elk hunt that we're going to do in the fall. So that might be we might be able to get a get together then. Yeah, man, definitely. Let me know. Uh, the more noticed, the better, because I do have a very pregnant wife who obviously wants a little, yeah, you know, insight when folks are coming in. But just let me know, and we'll set it up. You, you've always got a place to stay here, brother. Awesome. Hell yeah. Well, all right, y'all. Thanks so much for listening. As always, uh, if you want to follow any of my personal stuff on the social media, you can check me out on Instagram at luke.d.cox. Definitely follow the brand page for all of our brand content, the announcements for the new drops. We've got the gym line in the works. We just dropped some new hats. We've got a couple more hats on the horizon. And we've got some pretty big announcements uh, coming pretty soon. So definitely follow us at Official. And go check out all of our merchandise and everything we've got to offer at huntliftdeep.com. But as always, thank you guys. I appreciate the hell out of you.